0: Wow, do I love worship or what? Oh Do you know what you have here? I hope you do. Wow. Let me just say, um, we're delighted to be here. My wife Connie. We've been married 47 years. And we're delighted to be here. It feels like, I'll just mention it, it feels like we came home. Uh, Jonathan Ray Dean and Seth and Jamie and their spouses, uh, it's just like family, because it really is. It's like family just reuniting and spending some time together. And we're just thrilled to be here. You know what God's doing? Now, I feel prophetic tonight, so just be careful, okay? <laughs> Uh, I don't know how long this service is going to go, <laughs> and you better just turn off the clock right now. Uh, God is raising up lighthouse ecclesias all around the nation who will honor the Holy Spirit. And raise up a presence. Raise up an anointing that will touch the nation. Listen, if we don't get it now, we've lost it all. Now, I'll I'll give you, I'm a a history teacher. A U.S. history, American government, and all of that. I'm not going to get into all of that tonight, but I'm going to touch some things. And... Uh, just my background is trying to apply the biblical worldview to what's happening in our nation. I'm going to talk a little bit about that tonight, and how we as a church need to see our role and responsibility. Amen. So I'm going I'm to talk about that. Before I do, I just want to honor a couple people here, Leo and Phyllis Kaler, <laughs> right over here. I uh, if you guys don't know Leo and Phyllis. They are heroes of the faith for Connie and I. you have heroes in your midst we 're standing on their shoulders, and I just think what a, what a treasure to have them in your church i' just I just say that right now you are treasure Leo and Phyllis, we love you. I actually taught now my background is education and I helped start the Christian schools in Portland, Oregon at uh, Bible temple at the time, which became City Bible and manhouse. I helped start their schools and their kids were some of my students so i know their kids both good and bad you know but no they're just what a what a wonderful family that they have raised and so just uh, you need to you need to thank god they're in your midst just rub shoulders with them yeah it's just great and so and, and also i think there's a sanford in this church i think he was on the on the uh, saxophone and John, I think, is that your uncle? Uh, John Sanford was a wonderful friend of ours. And he was in your church. And you have had, you have had uh, patriarchs. Yeah. And you, you just need to thank God for that. Amen. So, and Jonathan Radine, just, man, I just, I just love your church. If, if you're not careful, I may end up here, you know, just... <laughs> <laughs> Connie, my wife, uh, she has a nephew that lives here, and her sister and husband are actually from this area, and we're trying to get them to move back here, actually, but um, anyway, that's kind of our background. Now, I'm here this weekend because I'm not the senior pastor, lead pastor anymore. That is our son, Chris, who is a father of seven children, and so I'm going to tell you the quick story, then I I need to, you know, get, get to where I'm going here. But uh, uh, they were married 2006, I think it was, 16 years ago or so. For the first few years, they couldn't have children, so they decided, well, let's, let's, let's adopt. So on Good Friday, 2011, they got a phone call. The phone call came from, the, from a, an adoption group that, that said, hey, listen, we got twin boys in the hospital, and they need a home. Wow. And they had put their name out. Within four to six hours... They were the parents of two wow. twin boys. Now, their, their name is, one of them is Wesley Kenneth, named after me, and Quincy Wendell, named after my cousin Wendell Smith. And uh, they're just, we call them the, the Sons of Thunder. <laughs> so that'll kind of give you an idea of what they are. A, a year later, they get a phone call from the birth mother. Uh, would you mind adopting another child? She became pregnant again, and so she gave them Whitney, a little girl, who was a year younger, a year and a month, I think, younger than the boys. So we call them the big three. They're now 11 and 10. Well, time goes by, seven years. Kelly comes to us and says, dad, mom, I'm pregnant, <laughs> with twins. A year goes by, and one month. Dad, Mom, we're pregnant with twins. This, this is true. Have you ever heard of anybody with three sets of twins in their family? Uh, I would not recommend it for, for mental health, but they, these, uh, and you know, now we have some, they're, they're in the twin club. You're you're in the twin club now and it's a great club to be in. So we are we're the grandparents of of actually 10 and 10 grandchildren and seven of them are in one family. So we just thank God for them. Our uh, Chris and Kelly, the pastors of our church, Tracy and Garrison are in the ministry in our church, our youngest daughter, and then our other daughter Rochelle and her husband Mark started a church 4 years ago in Orange County, California called Ocean's Church, that's exploding. Literally. And so uh, we just thank God for family, friends, the church, and what God is doing. So that's kind of our story. Let me pray for you. Let me, I I don't know how this is going to turn out, so just bear with me. Because when I teach, I'm trying to change your thinking. Because too many church people have stinking thinking. And, and they don't know the foundation upon which they're doing things. You come into church and you do these things we operate in, pray, worship, but you don't understand the full meal deal of why God and how God put this together for us. I'm going to try to take you there tonight. Okay? So you can understand this foundation. So I'm going to go, I hope you stay with me. you got to think. See, I, I, I believe Christians should be thinkers too. We're not just dumb followers. We're, we're, you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, so stay with me. Father, we just pray right now. Holy Ghost anointing, Holy Ghost activity. We pray that you would stir our faith, open our minds, and God do a work deep within us. Transform our thinking and make us to understand what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'll start out this way. The church for too long has been dumbed down in two areas, theology and eschatology. We don't know much about either. And so in these areas, we, we kind of operate on a, on a loose area of, of application. But I want to talk tonight about what, how God looks at things and, and what he's attempting to do. Um, after Christ entered the scene, you've read the scripture about it, and established his church, cultures and civilizations were turned upside down. And they turned to become Christian in a very short amount of time. You read history. It was so dramatically different from the pagan cultures and basically set the world free from satanic domination. Wow. It's, it's what happened. You read it. The world changed. Life became sacred. Before Jesus, life was not sacred. It was just, you were like an animal. Women were, became sacred. and were to be treated as equal heirs. Before Jesus, it wasn't that way. Come on, you read your history. The poor and weak were considered also created in the image of God. The poor rich were created as equals. And Jesus preached this. Every life had precious value. Precious. Sexuality was to be treated as a sacred gift, to be honored and kept in sacred vessel of marriage. Before that, wasn't that way. Children were if you If you read history, before Jesus, children were mistreated and abused in every culture. But children under Jesus became a valuable treasure. Rulers could no longer claim the authority of Godhood. After Jesus came, everyone became subject to God's laws. Now, we, you, you go through history, you see this. Jesus comes on the scene, and the lame walk, the blind see, lepers healed. They called it in biblical terms ekbalo, which means to, rege- to expel, to reject, to cast out, to send away. Jesus encountered demonized people, and he cast out demons. That same ability of Ekbalah then was, was placed upon his disciples to do the very same thing. The gospel, the word of God, clashed with the ancient demons. It was the clash of spirits, the war of the worlds. It was the war of the kingdoms. It was full on. That happened when Jesus came. But let me ask you this question. What happened to all the demonic forces and ancient gods of those cultures? For they don't die. They don't, where, where'd they go? Well, let me read a scripture that will just kind of shock you a little bit. Matthew twelve forty three says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order And then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. Now the last phrase is important. It does not apply this just to a man, but to a generation or nations. In other words, this parable is not just talking about individual possession, but about the possession of a generation, a culture, even a civilization. So think of it nationally. I'm trying to get you to, to, uh, to be aware of what's really happening in America. Yes. Wait, this isn't just natural thing, or just this way of things. No, we're in a spiritual war. Yes. And think of it nationally and w- with Western civilization. I'm a Western civilization. I wouldn't say expert, but I know a lot of, I actually do a radio program about biblical worldview. And, Those spirits that were excised or exercised out at Jesus' time, they didn't die. They roamed the dry places, the desolate lands. They dwelt in the shadows, kind of in exile, you know. And they found no place to rest until they came to repossess. Spirits cast out of Western civilization found no rest, no other civilization to possess, now they seek to come back home to their original house. Yeah. Look at Europe, Western civilization. Look at America. Spirits can come back only if the house is unoccupied, empty, and left open and swept clean. Then the original spirit, as the scripture says, brings seven spirits back to repossess. And the only, But the only way these spirits could return is if a civilization... Cleans it out by turning away from God, from his word, from the gospel, and from Jesus. If so, then they will bring seven spirits worse than themselves. So if the gods that were cast out, are you still with me? <laughs> oh, we're going someplace tonight. If the gods that were cast out with the coming of Christianity return, wouldn't they come back with a vengeance? Now, watch this. And wouldn't they focus on those who cast them out to begin with? Those called Christians? And wouldn't they come back to cast out Christianity from Western civilization? They they would come to wage war on those who waged war on them and cast them out. Against the Spirit of God? Now look what's going on right now. Against the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the ways of God, the house of God, and the people of God. So just as they were driven to the margins and to the shadows, they would now seek to drive the Christians to the margins. The shadows, the closets, the catacombs, if you will, of our culture. These demonic forces had been silenced by the word of God, the power of God, the spirit of God. So now they would seek to silence the word of God and the Christians who stood on it. Now... We're, we're going someplace to in, end up with prayer here, but just stay with me. Just as they saw laws enacted against them, they now would work to have laws enacted against the Christians. And boy, have we seen it. Against the Western nations that, that would encroach on, on, on their turf. It was the young in ancient times who had undone them through belief in Jesus Christ. The disciples of Jesus, they were in their teenagers and 20s. They were the young. And I tell our church all the time, the battle right now in the nation and the world is around the seed. The children. Because prophetically, and the devil knows this, he's read Genesis 3. What does it say? And the seed will crush. It will ruin him. So, it was the young and ancient times that came against him. So upon the satanic realms of their re-entry and return, they're going to come to seek to overcome the young. They would remove prayer and scripture. Come on, people. I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but when I was, I was born in 1950, so you can figure it out. But when I was in grade school, every day we read the Bible This is public school. You guys remember this? We read the Bible, we prayed, and we did the Pledge of Allegiance. I look forward, and I was a pastor's kid, so I already had Bibles, but I look forward every year to the Gideons to come in, and they would give me this red, compact New Testament. I still have them in my possession. And that was, in fact, I interviewed my my grandmother before she passed away. She said their, their textbook when she was growing up in America was the Bible. But they came, they have come to remove prayer, scripture from the schools to seek control over the young again. They would do it through the media, TV, the internet, every possible way through the classroom. You you see the attack on, on schools today? You notice it's not on the senior centers. The children would increasingly be taught to reject Christianity, despise biblical values, so that the ways of God would become alien to them. Yeah. We have people that have never heard the name of Jesus in America. I'm just, it's, it's just astonishing to me. At the same time, the gods or those demonic forces would attack the transmission of the Christian faith from parent to child. Notice how they're trying to divide parents and children. Yeah. Listen, it's not that difficult to see what's happening. And they try to divide parent and child from teacher to student in even Christian schools and universities. These demonic forces now seek to cut off the young from the Christian faith. Now, so, are you still with me? So, the Bible says every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But do you know that what those ancient gods and demonic forces want is every knee to bow to them. Once the gods gain dominion, the demonic forces they demand that every knee bow to them almost like the Hebrew children in the book of Daniel. Now in modern times the demonic forces with their newfound dominion because they say they're coming in to create freedom. It's just a guise. It's a lie. Once they come in, they create totalitarianism. I I don't I can't go there, Lord. I can't go there which totalitarianism in government, that's why we don't, we're losing free speech. It's not, it's not because of, of some natural things. It's spiritual forces. Because God always says, when I come in, I'm going to give you freedom. When Jesus authorized America, you see, there's only two nations that have, have been actually founded on the word of God, Israel and America. That doesn't mean we're any better than any, anybody else, but it means that we have a greater responsibility. And America was founded. I've seen the founding documents. We were founded on the biblical worldview of Jesus Christ. Yeah. But what's happening now is, even in corporate America, they've organized to force their employees to attend indoctrination sessions. You've seen it. Into the ways of wokeness and a new code of ethics. They, they expel students and professors for affirming male and female and not the many gender identities I don't know, uh, last week it may have been 62. Now it may be 81 genders. I don't know. They forced parents to transition their children. I mean, if you've watched the news this week, there's a a father in Texas and a mother in California who are fighting. He's trying to keep his son a son, and she wants the son to be a daughter. They brought lawsuits against shopkeepers for refusing to violate their faith. Although it all seems strange to us, this phenomenon was, was actually quite predominant in ancient cultures. Because they're not going to rest until every knee bows to them. These gods promised that in exchange for abandoning God, they would usher in. And this is what they tell you. We'll usher in a culture of freedom. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. But instead, they usher in a culture in which every knee, every word, every thought. You ever, you ever hear of thought crimes now? Every thought was forced to bow down to them. The spirits now inhabit everything. Government chambers, corporate boardrooms, college campuses, courtrooms, television, movies, music, popular culture, everything. In every part of American culture. The new totalitarianism was a sign that the gods had achieved their dominion of every knee bowing. They had successfully transformed a Christian civilization into a pagan one. And if we're not careful, it's going to happen here. That's why you're so important. And that's why I'm taking you someplace tonight. Okay? So it was the nature of the gods to bring this destruction. Their worship always involved altars. In ancient times, you go back, it's always altars. They always have a counterfeit to Jesus. These altars always involve blood. Mostly the blood of children. That was the demand and the price of following them. You had to give and sacrifice your children. And so these demonic forces destroyed their own and then celebrated their own destruction. We see it happening today. How did they cause their followers to destroy themselves? They actually removed purpose and meaning from their lives. If life has no purpose, then it proceeds towards death and destruction. The lives of children can then be disposed and sacrificed. By removing purpose from sexuality, then it can be repurposed into any direction and it will stop producing life and will give birth to death. That's why they don't want marriage. That's why they want abortion. If they can remove man from manhood and woman from womanhood, it will bring about destruction, the disintegration of family, society, and lives. The gods will then have removed the nation's reason for existing and it will cease to exist. Now, there's hope in all this. I hope you've realized that. The purpose of God can only be found in the one who created it, and that's God or Elohim. The powers of the gods can only overcome by the power of God. Can only be overcome by that. It's interesting because all of the gods of this world are cheap substitutes for the one true God. Ephesians 2.12 says that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Without God, there's no hope. And we in this pagan world are set free through a specific name. You said it tonight. Jesus. There'd never been one like Jesus. Never one with so radical a love. Never one who who said, love your enemies and those who persecute you. There never was one who said who was a friend of sinners? There never was one who reached out to the outcast and the rejected and the broken and the lost. There never was one that said, "I'm the way, the truth and the life. Yeah. Never one who says, "Come to me, all you are weary and burdened and heavy-laden, I'll give you rest." Nobody had ever said that, because Jesus also had an altar. Instead of demanding that he be given a sacrifice, he alone gave his life as a sacrifice. He was the antidote to all these ancient spirits and gods. He sets individuals free. And he sets nations free and civilizations. That's why Jesus said, go and disciple all nations. He didn't say, go and disciple dis- individuals. He said, go and disciple nations. That, ha- that has haunted me. That's why in one way, we, why we went to D.C. and established the National Prayer Center. So we could get to the very heart of, of America, hopefully change that. I'm telling you, the satanic kingdom, and ancient gods' kingdom will end. Their days are numbered. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. Jesus is on the way. Yeah. Now, I'm only halfway. Yeah. So, am I, am I okay? Yeah. Okay, you gotta now. You, this is where we're going to head into something here. We're at war, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, as we've mentioned. John 10.10, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy God. He comes to bring life life eternally. Satan has loosed destruction in our nation. As kingdom of God's citizens, we're known as image bearers. I love the term, image bearers. That means we're made in the image of God. Satan then, therefore, comes to deface us, even as I've been talking a little bit about that to deface and mar the image bearers that God has created. He comes to graffiti our lives. That's what he does. He comes to destroy everything that's good in your life, to graffiti you. And we're all, We've all had this come in our lives. Inter- isn't it interesting that everything that God created is being questioned? Male and female, gender confusion, life and death for babies, the purpose of life, destroy the education of our children, total immorality, everything. It's all that's been qu- being questioned. So we have to go to something. And I, I, uh, I'm going to go to one scripture, which is the key scripture. I tell our church this all the time. If you don't know any other scripture in the New Testament, know this one. Okay, Matthew chapter 16, verses, and you know it, verse 13 through 19. It, it is the access point in which the New Testament thrusts the answer to all of us. In verse 13, chapter 16, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? I, the Son of Man, am. And they said, Well, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter had a revelation. He answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Now notice this. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he says this, and I also say to you that you are Peter. He changed his name based upon revelation. He went from a, a, a Simon Barjona means a a reed blown by the wind. And every doctrine just blown apart. But Peter means a rock. He said, "I say you are Peter, and upon this rock of revelation, I'm going to build my church. This is the first mention of church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven now you have to understand something this this bible that we read is not just a devotional book it is a governmental treatise that tells us we are a part of the kingdom of God unfortunately Americans don't understand kingdom because we get the vote Can I tell you, in the kingdom of God, you don't vote. God's in charge. And he's the king. And he's telling us something that is powerful here. He he puts together the, the kingdom and the church. He puts it together. The church meaning ecclesia. Here in this passage, we are commanded to forbid or to permit things on earth. Now, remember, we're image bearers. And in this scripture... God is beginning the story because when Jesus came back, he actually came back to reintroduce the kingdom to the earth because Satan had actually torn it away and he was the, he was the usurper that took over that which God gave all of us as image bearers. Adam and Eve were set on the earth as, as those who came from heaven And were there to be a brand new uh, citizenry who were image bearers. And they were to be fruitful and multiply. They came into the Garden of Eden. This is a whole other, I don't have time to tell you about this. This whole thing with Eden is just an amazing. You see, when God first put Adam and Eve here, you know what they were to do? They were to, he said, the first words, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth, grow it. Grow it. There was only one place on earth that was, that was full of lush things. The rest of it was dry. And he wanted them to build it, to expand it. And it was Eden. That's why the whole Bible is about getting all of us back to Eden, to fruitfulness. Oh, man, I, I'm, I'm sorry. i got, I got to control myself here. That was God's original intent for his people. It's to reign with him, exercise dominion, be a representative of God on the earth. We are ambassadors, we're representatives of the kingdom of heaven. That's why Jesus says, oh, by the way, when you pray, say this, this. let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we're praying, now this is why, now be careful here, but prayer isn't just personal devotions. Now, you have to start there. We have to have our personal devotion. We're praying for personal needs, etc. But God in the scripture, he's saying, oh, by the way, you, uh, I give you a lot of authority and power and responsibility. You're to do what Adam and Eve didn't do. You're to be fruitful and multiply, just not naturally, spiritually. And you're to do it in this way. The context with God is always a king in his kingdom. This book is about the kingdom of God. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom. He didn't say, seek first the church. He didn't say, seek first discipleship. He didn't say, seek first this or seek first that. No, seek first the kingdom. What is the kingdom? It's the rule of God. Now, notice this. Jesus does not talk about the church first. He establishes his kingdom first. When he comes back, what does he say? Tell people the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He preaches the kingdom of God for nearly three years, and then at the very end of his ministry, he starts talking about the church. Jesus came to reintroduce us to the kingdom. John the Baptist and the disciples all preached the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of the church, the gospel of the kingdom. So Jesus came actually to restart his kingdom. If you don't understand the kingdom, you will never understand the church. This is what's just filled me for the past number of years. The church is a part of his kingdom. But you see, the kingdom of God isn't just about the church. The kingdom of God is a rule over everything. I mean, he rules over everything outside here, all the trees and all the, you know, the natural air. He rules over the governments. He rules over everything. It's, it's his kingdom. And so, our job as the church isn't just to have good services. No. Having said that, we have to have a presence location. It's, isn't it fascinating God loves geographical locations? He does. He, he loves, you know, Jerusalem, Mount Zion. You know, he talks about all these places because he wants a place where he can dwell. Now, I'm not going to get into this either. This is too much for us tonight. But could the earth be the place of God's habitation? Could it be his temple or his tabernacle that he wants? Within our citizenry? The church is just part of his kingdom. Are are you still with me? The world right now is a mess. Because we have not understood that the church is to be a ruling and reigning branch of his kingdom on the earth. The church has been minimalized, left powerless, distorted. Because that's a work of hell. The church's work is not, the fu- is not in the future, it's now. That's why I think it was, the, it was a doctrine from the pit of hell that started teaching us that we just came here to get out of here. Yes. Just cause us, just, Lord, come back quickly. Maranatha, we got to get out of here, Lord, save us. Take us home. That's not our rule. You know, he told us he's occupied until I come. He says, go and disciple all nations. He's I mean, you go through Scripture and you think, what kind of doctrine is that? That's from, the hell, from hell itself. Because we have been sent here, placed here, appointed. You are in Coeur Idaho, because God has appointed you here to be a representative of the kingdom of God within this house to expand his kingdom in the culture around us. That's why you're here. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The answer to all the chaos, confusion in our world is is the church rising up to be what Jesus says the church is. Jesus came to start a kingdom, build a spiritual kingdom that would represent him on the earth. His kingdom is real. It's unseen, but it's real. He expects his kingdom to rule and reign with him on the earth right now through declaring prayer, Through worship, through taking authority, he expects his influence to enter into the culture and change that culture through his citizens who are salt and light. What is the kingdom? Well, a kingdom is a basilia, which means it's a government that rules a territory, an area, or a nation. Jesus is a king. He has a kingdom, and he rules a territory. And He is king of heaven, but he's also king over all the earth. Have you read scripture? The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. Jesus actually even rules hell. How do I know that? Because he has the keys. Have you read scripture? He has the keys, which represent authority. Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We there and we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. So we are in his name to rule on the earth right now with him as his representatives. Christ declared the kingdom. And he came to introduce his church to that. That's why Matthew 4.23 says, Jesus traveled through the region of Galilee, teaching in synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria. People soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. That's a powerful kingdom. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. Moffat's translation said he made a tour through the whole of Galilee preaching the gospel of the rain. R-E-I-G-N. In the Sermon on the Mount, he starts with the kingdom, he ends with the kingdom. In the Lord's prayer, he says, kingdom come. That's what we are to declare. Kingdom come to our state and city. Kingdom of God come and reign over this territory. Kingdom of God reign in Idaho. Kingdom of God reign in Coeur d'Alene. Kingdom of God reign in the north of Idaho. Now, satanic forces, they hold to boundaries. Have you noticed? Uh, I'm sorry, but I'm going I'm to tell you how much I love Idaho. Have you noticed when you cross the border from Washington to Idaho? I, now, this is not the promised land, but it sure is a nice promised land. Now, we have down, I'm sure it's happening here, and some of you are probably uh, refugees from other states, and we welcome you. Connie and I are native Idahoans, so we say welcome, but I'm telling you, something happens at Borders and Boundaries. Now, I told Jonathan today, or Jonathan Dean today, we were talking about it with the group, and uh, there is a difference in northern Idaho than there was 20 years ago. Maybe you don't realize it, but we have seen the change, both dramatically, both naturally and politically and spiritually. You know what I, and I, I, I told Jonathan, so tell me, how many years ago did you come? 16. Huh. Things have changed up there in the last 16 years. Maybe you're a part of what's changing this. No, it's not even, it's, it's not even a supposition, it's true. When a group of people, an ecclesia, rises up, it says, "God, we're going to serve you. We're going to honor you. We're going to lift up a standard." Something happens in that region. It has to. And I'm telling you, when you pray to the borders of Idaho, I'm, I'm there, God's going to do something. There's, there's. I've been to places overseas, nations, and I can, I can. I want to tell you a story. Oh man, time flies. I, I guess I'm going to have to quit right now. <laughs> this is this is too good. Okay, watch this. Connie and I were with my cousin Wendell years ago, during renewal days, I think it was. And we came out, uh, we were in a, a restaurant uh, eating. All of a sudden, this song came on. I don't remember the song, but it was, and all of a sudden, Wendell just bent over and started weeping, and he couldn't, he couldn't, even function. So uh, we had to get him up, and because we were done with the meal, so we had to get him up and take him out of the car. And and I I thought at first he was just doing it so I'd pay the bill, you know. (laughs) Take him out of the car, and he was still under it. It was just, so I had to drive. I got in the car and drove, and we were driving down the freeway. This is in Seattle area near Issaquah. And I'll never forget it. As we were driving down I-90, I saw an imaginary line right in front of us. We crossed it over, and I turned over. and says, "It's done, isn't it?" And it was. He crossed over from Bellevue to Issaquah. His burden was for Bellevue, and as, a, as soon as he crossed the border, it was gone. He lifted up and says, "Hey, what's happened?" You know. Well, that's what happened. His church was established in Bellevue, and they, you know, during that time period, God began to use him in great ways. But I, I just, is this making sense tonight? Now, I need to go to, I have too many notes here. Matthew seven twenty one says this. Now, not all people who sound religious are really godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. On judgment day, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I, I never knew you. Go away. The things you did were unauthorized. Now watch this. Watch this. You can't be a part of his kingdom and do unauthorized things. You can't ordain homosexuals. It's unauthorized. You can't say everyone's going to heaven. It is unauthorized. You can't say abortion is okay. It is unauthorized. We can go down the list. You must preach what is authorized. And he told us to tell everyone that the kingdom of God is here now, yes. and this is what is authorized. Yes. So after three years of teaching the kingdom and demonstrating it, he then uses a political, judicial, and governmental word. Now, you've got to stay with me here. This is where it really gets interesting. He uses a governmental word to introduce his church into the earth. We're made in his image, and he is a ruler. He's a king. Yes. So the nature to govern is planted into our being day day. The day that we are born again, we get the DNA of the king to rule and reign. It's a part of our spiritual DNA. Then Jesus introduces and uses a term, which is ecclesia. It's not a religious word. It isn't even a sacred word. It does not denote a building. If he wanted to denote a place, he would have used synagogue or temple. Ekklesia comes from two Greek words. Ek means out. Kaleo means to call out. It means to be called out and assembled for a purpose. It was a political term or governmental term. It was not a religious term. Wow. It was a word describing those with the final say in Greek government. C- come on, stay with me here. Here's the definition. An assembly of citizens summoned by the town crier to, legislate assemb- to a legislative assembly at the gate. That's what an ekklesia was. The gate is where people of authority sat. It would be like our city hall, capitol building, Washington, D.C. would be the gate of the United States. Citizens 18 years of age and up could answer a call to gather or assemble to pass legislation always by upraised hand with the ecclesia. Colin Brown describes it this way. He says, the ecclesia denotes the popular assembly of the competent full citizens of a city. It met at regular intervals, but it could also be called quickly in cases of emergency. The Ecclesia's sphere of oversight included. Now, I find this mind-boggling. I'm sorry. I'm a a junkie when it comes to this kind of history stuff. Decisions included this. Decisions on suggested law and final decisions on new law relied with the ecclesia. The final decision of all law was left to the ecclesia. Jesus was saying, my church is to have the final decision on laws in the nation and region. Voting was for magistrates or for those who held an office. It was the ecclesia's responsibility to vote for those who held office. Both internal and external policies in the region, including contracts, treaties, war and peace, and financial matters for the region, was all decided by the ecclesia. The ecclesia would rule on cases of treason. It, would summon, it could summon for its army to assemble for war. The ecclesia had command of the military. Now, I'm not suggesting we become in charge of the military. We're looking at this as a spiritual nature now. The ecclesia ruled on societal and cultural matters for its geographical location. My ecclesia, our ecclesia, is to set the cultural standards for a region. We, we, nowadays, we're, we first of all start with prayer. That's how you set the st- societal uh, standards. The ecclesia chose by upraised hands who would sit at the Areopagus, the high court of Athens, the Areopagus was similar to our Supreme Court, and the Ecclesia decided who would be on the High Court. The Ecclesia remained the final authority, so the decisions of government were up to those who answered the call to assemble and rule. Philosophies were debated at the Areopagus. Pope John Paul II said that today's media in our modern day has become our Areopagus. In other words, the people in the media are now the ones who are spinning the new philosophies. The media is now trying to decide who holds office positions and who sits on the Supreme Court. The media promotes godless ways, and it's telling the church to be quiet. They have stolen the authority of the Ariopagus, and it must stop. I'm sorry, I get... So, this, it, the, the ecclesia, isn't it interesting what God chose for the word for the church? It was a governing body. When the Greek city states found their governments had become too corrupt and oppressive, they would call for an ecclesia, an assembly outside the civil authority of the city. If enough people came out and refused to accept the existing centralized civil authority, that government would collapse. Jesus' ecclesia was told that they would forbid some things and permit some things. There are some people who we should forbid from holding office. And there are others we should permit. How do we do that? I'm telling you, it's all in the area spiritual spiritual now. It's through our prayers, through our interaction, through our our salt and light and culture. When Rome would conquer a territory, they would send in a group of administrators, legislators, or regulators of culture. This is how they did it. They regulated by shaping the culture. This is what they did. Here is what the culture is going to be allowed to do. They would tell them. They shaped the education. Here's what you will teach. Who's doing that now? They administered laws, societal standards, and taxes. The idea was to make that province look like Rome. Reform it to be a little Rome and make it compatible with Roman rule. They called that governing council an ecclesia. Have you ever heard this? The first mention of church is within the context of the kingdom of God in the Bible. So the contextual definition, the kingdom of God's governing, ruling body is the ecclesia established by King Jesus to look after his kingdom on the earth. It's not for heaven, it's for here. The church was made for here. The body who stewards is for me in my church, my ecclesia, is my called out ones, Jesus said. They will steward their territory, their geographical boundaries You're going to to pray from Montana to Washington, from Canada to Nevada. You're going to pray Idaho into the existence of God's societal standards. Come on, amen. They will steward the laws and commands to ensure they are biblically based. You see, this is why I'm really concerned about the church because we really don't know how to pray. You know we, we just we just kind of pray i mean if I was if I was going to lead a prayer right now, boy, I would lead a prayer for this for starting with this region, then this state, and we 're going to call in god 's rule and authority and we need to we need to say that we need to declare that now you've got to come back tomorrow morning because I have another message about what how we really do this, but they 're going to we need to do that, and we need to call to account uh political governments and some some uh, we need to decide official positions and remove some from official positions by our prayers and our voting. Some just have to go. In Jesus' name, some have to go. Now, this is what Jesus, Jesus called his, I'm just about done here. Jesus called his followers the new Congress of his kingdom. In other words, we have fallen, and, and think about it, we have really well fallen short of what Jesus meant by the church. We think it's a building we have wrongly bought the idea that we're to stay out of politics, legislation, cultural decisions, when in fact, the very word for church in scripture is a governmental word. It's a political word. It's a ruling body. In other words, I've preached this for years to our church. We're the Senate. We're the Congress. And we need to issue rules, laws, through our prayer, through our influence. By using the ecclesia, Jesus was saying, Church, get involved and shape culture. Be public and forbid it. Rebuke things in my name. Forbid some things in my name. And permit what is biblical. Make sure you have the final say. That's what I just read in Matthew 16, right? You will bind and you will lose. If you bind it, up, this is what Jesus said. If you bind an on earth, I'll, I'll bind it in heaven. Jesus isn't going to come down and, and do it. He's asking us to say it, then he will confirm it. In other words, so we're, we're to do that. You're, you're my legislative body on the planet, he's saying. Regulate the laws, regulate the culture, shape them to look like heaven. That's so good. In other words, and I close. We're to decree our authority. We must learn, practice, and activate authority language. We, ha- we have the king's DNA that's transmitted into us. At new birth. And it must be declared. We're kings. We're the king's lineage. We're his family. We're the heirs of God. We must release words of power, might, and dominion. We must restore kingly speech and authority language. we got to say it. The Bible says, when you pray, say. It didn't say whisper or even think about it. No, pray in the name of Jesus. And we, we need to do that. We, we must rise up and rule and exercise dominion. I'm going to read Matthew 16 as I close here. This is the rock in which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. Job 22:28 says, you will also declare a thing and it will be established for you so light will shine on your ways. Take up the keys of the kingdom and say what God says. Kings talk differently. Their speech resonates with authority. Do it in my name. Unfortunately, we have embraced the language of sheep rather than the language of kings. And we must declare with power and authority. We have been called as God's instruments to declare with our mouths the word of the king and the kingdom. And as we do that in, 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 together, something happens if one can put a thousand to play, fight. 2 can put 10,000. 3 can put 100. The, I'm a math teacher. So the exponential notation there, 4 can put or 3 can put 100,000. 4 can put a million. 5 can put 10 million. Come on. That's the exponential notation. So you you see what's happening here. So the we we need to we need to see that the early church turned the world upside down because they were introduced to a revelation in Matthew that was revolutionary, speaking with authority words through prayer and decrees that are kingly and authoritative until, I'm I'm ending with this, until a word is decreed, that seed is dormant. Because every word we say is a seed. Right? Okay, I've gone way too long. I want to pray did you catch something oh, we're part of the greatest kingdom that's ever existed and now as the church the ecclesia let's see what God will do it i I just I just have this there's something treasure there's there's this thing in this church I can't even describe it Connie and I were we' were, were feeling it when we came in here there's there's some there's some rich gems and treasure this is called the gem state there's rich gems and treasures and diamonds and in in the very fabric and foundation of this church. You have lead pastors who are genuine shepherds. I'm telling you, I know them. And I give credibility to them. And I'm telling you, you're going you can go someplace if you go together. And through the through the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God, you can turn this whole region upside down. Now here's here's what's going to happen. As you do this, other churches are going to start popping up, which is a good thing. More churches. More. You you can't disciple this whole region. You can't. But as a united ecclesia body here, you're going to start something. It's going to be a fire. It's going to start something in northern Idaho. You've and I'm I'm telling you, you've already changed some things. It's already started to happen. Now we got we got a ways to go. And so we gotta call heaven to earth. We gotta make earth like heaven. You are his image bearers. And when you pray, Lord, make Idaho like heaven. Come, Lord, come, let let the miracles be established like they are in heaven, Lord. Bring them to Idaho. Let the signs and wonders begin to move in in Idaho. And it doesn't, it can't just stay here. Now I heard, where's Logan? Where? Logan. Logan was saved, what, five years ago now? On Easter Sunday. He told me his stories, and I just about fell to my knees. On Easter Sunday, God saves his soul. Changes his everything. Now, let me say this. There are a bunch of Logans out there. (laughs) That unless we pray them into the kingdom... They're going to be lost. See, you, do you, do you know what you have? You have the foundation of the presence of the living God. We need to tell people, bring them into the presence, bring them into the presence. That's the presence that changes them. It's the it's the present Jesus, the Holy Spirit that will change their lives. So you got to bring them in. There's a whole bunch of Logans out there. Corlaine's full of them. Post Falls, Sandpoint, Rathdrum, going down south, Moscow. You know, going down south to all in our area. There's a bunch of Logans. we got to call them in. Call them in. Change their lives. Bring them into the kingdom so they also can be an image bearer.